Today's podcast is sponsored by Pepper Boxing. Pepper Boxing is a guided workout that utilizes unique teardrop-style heavy bags to deliver the finest group workout in Nashville. The bags are filled with water, meaning they're easier on the joints while still providing great resistance for your training. Pepper Boxing pairs high-energy music with elements of interval training and weighted bar exercises for an invigorating, full-body workout. The unique circular layout ensures that you will never lose sight of the instructor or their guidance. There's no contact in Pepper Boxing's classes. They're not looking for a fight, just a great way to enjoy the physicality and release of boxing. Pepper Boxing, it's conditioning with a purpose. For more information, go to pepperboxing.com. On today's podcast, we talk to David Drobny, one of the people behind the Nashville Severe Weather Twitter account. A lawyer by trade, he turned his fascination with the weather into one of Nashville's most viewed Twitter accounts and, during severe weather events, one of the most useful. You can find it online at NashSevereWX. There's a reason it's been voted best Twitter account by scene readers several years running in our annual Best of Nashville poll. We talk to him about Tweetierology, the Snow Dome, and what we can expect this winter in terms of snow. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or TuneIn. Please rate us and leave us your comments. We'd love to know what you think. And if you're a Predators fan, check out It's All Your Fault, our weekly podcast about the team. You can find links to that, uh, to that podcast on our site and past podcasts at nashvillescene.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. David Drobny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. Uh, so answer me this, why is it that when I want, uh, when I want the weather these days and something's going to happen, I keep turning to my phone and you guys, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to going to the national weather service or weather channel or something like that, what makes, what makes Nash severe WX, uh, or at Nash severe WX, uh, so attractive to so many people because you guys have built a monster Twitter following. Well, I don't know what makes us attractive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't say we're attractive, but uh, you know, we are first and foremost people with a brain, not a computer model spitting out information into your app. And obviously, if it, anybody who's ever followed what we do, I rant and rave against those apps, and people, will, in fact, will screenshot their app that says it's currently raining with a photo of the sun shining outside or things like that. You know, I, I think that as a community, we deserve better than uh, just a computer running in the background that doesn't have a brain that isn't actually looking out the window to tell you what's going on. Um, so there's that element of it as well. There's also a little bit of personality that goes in there. Um, there's, you know, we'll put jokes up there if we think they're funny um, we'll a lot get, of gifts. A lot of gifts. We love gifts, and in fact, through this this journey that we've been on, I've learned to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> I was a GIF peanut butter guy for a while, and have been since corrected by the I like people. that. Uh, come come over to my side. I'm I'm an anti GIF person. I, I'm there. I mean, I'm a convert. I was on the other side, and now I'm here. I, and what I believe is the correct side. Uh, but yeah, we use um, you know gifts all the time to 
kind of just show people, look, we understand. And a lot of times those gifts are a better way to communicate information than anything else that we can say. Uh, but the other thing is we're just doing two counties. We're doing Metropolitan Nashville, a.k.a. Davidson County. We're doing Williamson County because that's where we live and that's where we work. And because we're only focusing on those things, we have an advantage over the TV market, which has to cover the entire area. You know, that was kind of the idea all along. We can't possibly expand our coverage. It's just too difficult to do. Um, so and, when I when I turn to the feed, I'm turning to you and who else? You're turning to me. You're turning to Will Minkoff, who has he and I have really seen this thing grow together. He's been doing this with me, I think, since November of 2012. Wow. Um, and then the last two years, we found Andrew Leeper. Uh, so he's the other person. And in fact, if there is a flash flood warning or a severe thunderstorm or tornado warning, the Periscope feed is all Andrew, unless something has gone horribly wrong and I need to pick it up. But we're moving and at least transitioning into always doing the Twitter, but also having a video option because the technology and the software is there. And a lot of times people aren't in front of their TVs. They need something that's a little quicker than what was 140 characters and now 280 characters at a time. Now, how do you feel about the 280 characters? Um, I like it personally for myself because there's a lot of times I need to get a lot of information out. But as I'm tweeting and, you know, you see the little circle as it goes around, I try to keep it at that six o'clock position. Uh, I think it's really important to try to stay under 140 characters. Asking people who are used to reading 140 characters to double it is too much. And so you better have a really good reason. You better be saying something really important if you want to go past that 140th character. How did you become a weather, I don't know, nut is the right word, or uh, 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 aficionado, or what? what's the right word here? Well, nerd, I think, is the word. Nerd that, is a good word. That most of us would choose. Um, you know, some people like to golf. Some people like, you know, knitting or what. I don't know, whatever they like. I like weather. And... You know, I've always been a little bit of a weather nerd, but it wasn't until 2008 that the tools to become an Uber nerd came available to the masses when this guy in his garage in Atlanta developed this software program that for 80 bucks anybody could buy and pretty much have the same kind of data and information that you were seeing when you would turn on your local, you know, TV meteorologist and looked at the radar that they had. So I bought that in 2008 and uh, just nerded out on it, geeked out on it, learned a lot. There was a lot I didn't know. Um, and since then, I've, I've learned a whole lot. I've educated myself. I mean, the Internet's just wonderful because before you really needed to have a formal education to know anything about a field, if you're willing and you want to go buy textbooks and watch YouTube videos and get on message forums and do those kind of things, you can really learn a lot more than you ever could. Uh, is certainly true in meteorology, and that's how I got into it. I mean, every meteorologist, and I'm not a meteorologist. I just call myself a tweetyrologist. I'm a lawyer by that's trade. A, that's a great. Uh, that is a great title. You have that on card? No, I don't. In fact, I think it was my buddy, who's a who's an actual meteorologist in Memphis, who does the at Memphis Weather One handle. Uh, he came up with, it, or maybe he stole it from somebody else. I don't know, but he's where I heard it from. But, that's a great line. Yeah, we're tweetyrologists. Um, <laughs> so you so you became a tweetyrologist. I did, and it really wasn't my intention. Uh, it started when my, you know, my wife had some had a friend that she used to teach with from Oklahoma, and one of my buddies from Louisiana. They would constantly call me when we were having tornado warnings and say, "David, what do I do?" And you know, they're watching the TV. And by the way, you should still watch TV when there's severe weather coming. Um, the, more information is always better than less information. 
Um, but anyway, they would text me, and that was back in the days you had the flip phones, and to type a text, you had to press two a couple <laughs> times to get a B out. And it, I just, it got too much to handle. It was too cumbersome. So I said, you know what? If you want to know what I think, just go to Twitter. And it, I really opened the Twitter account just for two or three people. And when did you start realizing that there were more people tuning in? I mean, you could see your follower account, obviously, but when, when did you start it to get a little bit of critical mass? I got my 100th follower at church on a Sunday morning in like February of 2011, and I thought I ought to change the handle off of my just my name. And it was in 2011 that summer, we had a series of thunderstorms go through, and a couple of musicians who I honestly didn't even know at the time had a huge Twitter following, started retweeting some of the stuff that I was doing. And so from one thunderstorm, we would go from about 200 people following to 1,000. Wow. And then the big event was on March 2nd of 2012 when a supercell came out of a, a really uh, terrifying setup. We thought we were going to have horrible tornadoes. And if you were north of us, you did have horrible tornadoes. A supercell came from Jackson, Mississippi and came straight um, east towards us. And everybody will remember that. It was a Friday at 4 p.m. And that was the giant hailstorm in Nashville, where people had windows busted out. The hail was about an inch and a half or so. But it, that storm actually produced a tornado uh, just to our west in Cheatham County and came across. And it was tornado-warned. There was a, a women's basketball tournament going on downtown. People were getting out of school. And I was tweeting like a madman during that storm. And the guys on the radio over at 3HL were reading our tweets on the air. And so we grew about... I'd say we got about five to 6,000 people uh, that day following our Twitter feed. And then it's just kind of just kind of curved up ever since. Sure. If you look at our growth, where the storms are or where the snow is, that's where the growth comes up. And it just, I mean, right, every day we'll get a handful of followers just organically. Are you a are you a spring weather guy? Are you a summer weather guy or winter? What's what's your what's your favorite weather? I like the convective storms, the severe thunderstorms the most. I think those are the most fascinating. Um, I've started to get an appreciation for the snow and all the things that can go wrong. And kind of with my access now that I have as a media member with the weather service, I can kind of see behind the veil about how emergency managers work and how forecasters think. And I have a new respect for that quandary that they're giving. Um, You know, somebody says, well, is it good to snow? Yes or no. And honestly, it, it's almost, I don't know, 12 hours, six hours before the event comes. Um, I want to I get back to that sort of behind the uh, curtain access that you have now. But before that, there's a, um, there's, a, there's a vexing problem or a vexing issue with Nashville and snow, and that's Snow Dome. Or at least there was, there was a perceived Snow Dome. What the, hell was, what the hell was Snow Dome? So Snow Dome was, and actually when it, got popular, I went back to see that we didn't actually coin the term. One of our followers said, what is the deal with the lack of snow? And they were referring to what was more than four years of us getting shut out each winter for snow. And I I said, you know what, we've had trace amounts here, we've had a little bit amount here, we've had a dusting here. What constitutes the snow dome? So I just unilaterally decided that it was, we were domed until we got an inch of snow in a day which is really a meager amount. 
And so we put the clock up and um, this, the hashtag went crazy. And, uh, you know, I had media requests to talk about the snow dome. <laughs> I had the local meteorologist here sending me texts and direct messages saying, it's your fault. We have to answer questions about the snow dome. This, the, this one inch thing you came up with is not an actual metric that's recognized in any peer reviewed journal. And I just laughed and I was like, well, I hadn't snowed in a while and people wanted to snow. Um, so yeah. And then when it broke, it was a big celebration. Yeah. Um, did you have a party when it, when it broke? We did. We, um, we, we enjoyed that cause it was good to finally get to stop talking about it. It'd been four years and you know, I had little kids at home and they wanted to go sledding and we were like, sure, let's sure. get them outside and let's go build a snowman and let's do this. What does one drink at a snow dome party or a snow dome breaking party? <laughs> well, it depends on who you talk to. For me, it was, I mean, in fact, I wasn't, I've just recently gotten into trying bourbon cause my friends have been doing that and I wanted to know what the fuss was about. But I mean, I think eggnog is the right answer to that question. That's a good, you, that's a good call. Yeah. You are, you're not a meteorologist and you're not part of the weather service, but you get to peek behind the curtain now. You get to, you get to have discussions with the, the weather service guys. How did that come about? So a lot of people try to get into what's called NWS chat, which is a web-based government thing where you got to log in and change your password every six months. And what it does is it lets you talk to the weather service on an, on an instant messaging platform, and the people who are allowed in are, uh, of course, the, the forecasters on duty and the people who work at the weather service. You have emergency managers throughout all of Middle Tennessee, and then you have the media. And I wanted in on that, of course, because that's where the tipping will be, for example, that a warning is coming. So, for example, you might be watching Channel 4 or something, and um, you know Paul or somebody will get up there and say, well, the weather service is about to issue a severe thunderstorm warning for such and such. He's looking at NWS chat. So I wanted to get in on that, but I knew that there was no way to do it. Around that time, I started noticing that people were sending us photos of occurring severe weather in Probably the most. The first case was a flash flood. There was a flash flood down on July seventh, two thousand eleven, in Cool Springs, over by Dave Ramsey's place, over by the mall. Yep. And cars were submerged. I got three photos within fourteen minutes of each other, and it took thirty nine minutes for the weather service to issue a flash flood warning. And so I went to the weather service and talked to the uh, number two person there in charge at the time. Finally got a meeting with him. Took three tries, and I said, <laughs> "Hey, man, I got." I got information you need. And you guys don't realize that in social media, they're reporting hail, they're reporting funnel clouds, they're reporting uh, flash floods, they're reporting when in, weather or when it's snowing. And you guys don't know about it and you need to know, to know about it because they don't know. They've just got radar. Are you saying that, are you saying that, that government, uh, me, government meteorologists might not have been the quickest to adopt social media? Well, I know uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that, but... <laughs> I think we can say historically what happened was their hands were tied. Okay. At that time, the Weather Service office in Nashville was not allowed to use Twitter. Really? So, and, and they didn't have Twitter accounts at that time. So what I did is I said, you know what, look, I will give you this information for nothing just so that we can improve the quality of your warning products. And we said, well, we're going to need a hashtag in order to organize all this uh, and it's something to call the program so we came up with t-spotter um 
if so if you see severe weather you see winter weather and you want to tell the weather service about it hashtag t-spotter on twitter and, and we will see it and what we do is we put those reports into that instant message system they have and it lets the media know it lets emergency managers know and it lets the weather service know that something's going on maybe they need to issue a product for it and then you got to i mean you actually got i believe an award and got to go last year to talk i mean to one of the big weather conferences yeah so of course we're most proud of our readers poll here with the nashville scene thank you um and and you know not for nothing and those of you listening steve didn't put me up to this but the scene has always been really really good to us uh, and we've always appreciated... We like weather as much as anybody else. Yeah, they, they've been very, very cool. So, yeah, one day I was at work, and I got a phone call from Dave Freeman, who is the president of the National Weather Association, which is unfortunately named the, the NWA. <laughs> um, but the he called me out of the blue. I never met the guy, and he said, you've won the Walter J. Bennett Public Service Award, and we want you to come to Norfolk, Virginia, to our annual meeting and accept this thing. It's just like a genius grant. It has like a half million dollars attached to it. There's, and- there's no, well, <laughs> they, they paid for my hotel room for a couple of nights. Uh, in Norfolk. <laughs> in Norfolk, which, which was actually, I was, I'd never been there before. I loved it. So Will and I actually went it together. And we went out there and attended the conference, and it was weather nerd heaven. Um, we had such a great time. And then we got up and had to, there was a big luncheon, and the entire conference is there. And I looked down, giving a, I didn't really know I was supposed to give a speech, and I looked down, and there's Jim Cantori listening to what I'm having to say, and <laughs> all these giants, and you know the the president of the of the uh, pretty much any organization you might think of in your field is sitting out there looking at you. When Cantori comes to these things, is he dressed in like full slicker? Like, does he walk around in like <laughs> heavy weather gear all the time? No. Um, as an aside, I once stalked Jim Cantori. I was at a mediation in Memphis one time, and there was a moderate risk of severe weather, and I knew that Jim Cantori was somewhere off of Mud Island. So during our break, instead of eating lunch, I went and I tracked Jim Cantori down and had a conversation with him. He couldn't have been a nicer dude. Um, but, yeah, he's – I tell you what, you shake that guy's hand. Dude is strong. <laughs> I mean, the dude travels. He – he cheers at thunder snow and the dude must work out like every day. Uh, the dude's built like granite. He's a super nice guy. And, uh, so you look out, you look good. out there and you see Cantori and a bunch of others in, in the audience. And what would, I mean, what do you, what do you say to that group? I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think I made the point that when, when the weather is really getting bad and you're afraid that people's safety is impacted, and you, you can harness the community's power to communicate through social media. You've got to have one-on-one relationships with the forecasters and the emergency managers, and you got to trust each other during that situation. And that's one of the things that our weather service office has done very, very well. So I was very thankful to them when I, when I spoke. Um, the weather service office is there's a diverse group of people. There's several offices all over the country. The one in Nashville is awesome. Um, we are very, very lucky to have a group that's willing to try new things. Who's willing to take a risk on guys like me and Will and Andrew to kind of help them out. Um, they're constantly trying to get better and they're very, very good people. They are dedicated public servants who are working every holiday. I mean, that place never closes. Um, and they don't get enough, uh, attention and respect. And frankly, they don't ask for it. So, um, I might have thanked them profusely when I was looking down um, at them. But the the whole weather community, you know, I thought that they would push back at us. Um, nobody really has. 
the local meteorologists here have been great to us. Um, they've even called and said, hey, David, you know, you got this photo on Twitter. Can we use it? Yeah. I mean, anything we get, y'all, just take it because it's just for the public good. Um, when a weather event happens, what's the kind of usual order of battle for Team uh, Nash Severe WX? Sure. So I'm responsible for what we call outbound information. So I take to Twitter and it's my job to tell people what's going on and what we think is going to happen. Will's job is to observe what's going on on social media and get those T-spotter reports quality controlled into the weather service quickly. Andrew's job is to tell me and Will what we're doing wrong and fix it. And he's also (laughs) there to get ready for when a warning is issued to go live on Periscope and start covering the storm. Nice. So what kind of Periscope audiences are you guys building up right now? Well, we've really only started it in the spring. We finally found a program that I think works for us. Uh, We will do on some videos, I I haven't looked at the metrics in a while because we haven't had a big storm in a while, but uh, we'll see between ten and 20,000 views. I don't know how long they're watching it. Sure. Uh, but people are watching it. So when there is a tornado warning, for example, the few times we've had it, we've had a pretty big audience rush into there. I mean, 20,000 views is not dissimilar to what a broadcast station might pick up in, in like like a non like a not, a not super busy time. Yeah, we're, we're, we're just doing what we're doing. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what the ratings are or the metrics are. I've had some meteorologists from other markets comment about that and you know we're just having a good time doing what we're doing Uh, i mean we can't as i tell people i can't not do this and the same is true for will and andrew i don't know how i found them um but will and i will was doing something similar to what i was doing um trying to collect information and i found him and we had lunch at the corner pub down in midtown but we uh we met there and just just hit it off and then andrew was at our some we have a local chapter of the National Weather Association meeting and he was a member of that and he was hosting some of our meetings for us and I just started to talk to him and he actually has some broadcast experience that he did in, in college and he's got a he's a music minister so he's got the pipes for it too and he does a really good job. Really project. He does. He can he's got like the smooth delivery, much smoother than what you're hearing me talk now. <laughs> We were we've talked about doing this for a little bit, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to ha- bring you guys on uh, and you on uh, to talk about weather. And we were waiting on like the right season, and winter is finally here. That's now, right. Now, in preparation for uh, in preparation for the change of season, I have gone out and bought the latest copy of the Farmer's Almanac. Oh gosh! So that I can uh, be <laughs> adequately prepared for how this winter is going to be. Uh, have I done anything right here? Well, I mean, in much a way that you might look at a horoscope or <laughs> some other fantastic publication that might have a, draw a tangent line to reality, you have. Um, you could use it for uh, amusement. Um, you can use it for bets. You can just say, well, how wrong will this be? <laughs> uh, and it's also very vague, which I do appreciate about the Farmer's Almanac. It is very vague. It'll say... I haven't looked at this year's. It'll say, for example, I've looked at last year's and it said uh, November 9th through 13th periods of thunderstorms. Well, what does that mean? It, it, there's really no <laughs> actionable information in there. The reality is in the winter it gets cold, and you don't need the Farmer's Almanac to tell you that. 
but yeah, I'm not a fan of it. And I, I have had a few people say, well, I read the Farmer's Almanac, which was published, I think, in August or September, and it's trying to predict the winter. All it's really doing is looking at climatological data and then spitting it back out in vague enough terms that it can't be specifically refuted. Um, what should we expect as Nashvilleians this winter? It's going to get cold. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen. Uh, but I did, you know, because I'm prepared, I did some research for you. Our, our, if you go back to weather, re- uh, weather records going all the way back in Nashville to 1873, you'll learn that a lot of the old records are really terrible. In fact, there was a, a talk in, at the annual meeting I went to last year in Virginia that talked about how off the records were for way back in the 20s and the 30s and even in the 19th century. Wow. So uh, so so when I hear, so when I hear somebody on TV say, "Oh, well, we broke a record that happened, you know, it has been standing since 1885." That's for temperature it's probably legitimate or close to. For snowfall or rainfall it probably isn't. It's certainly a uh, poor for tornadoes because back then we had no idea. I mean, the number of tornadoes that have occurred in Tennessee during that time that were that we don't know about, we don't have records of, is staggering. Um, so it's difficult to make assumptions based upon the uh, weather records in terms of actual precipitation events or whatever because they just weren't kept. In fact, I was going back through the data today, and there are there are several years that are just blank. Wow, where there aren't any records. But so so you you dug back in. What'd you find? Well, if you go back to 1873, we average 8.6 inches of snow in Nashville. But again, that's probably skewed. For example, if you're ever going to measure snow or you're ever going to report it, don't measure it in your grass because what you're really measuring is whether or not you cut your grass recently. <laughs> um, measure it off a snowboard. And since we've since we've noticed that this, there's a problem, what typically people do is they go back to 1980 and they go, look, we we're pretty confident in our accumulation records and everything since 1980. And it's a nice even date to start from. So our average snowfall since 1980 is 5.7 inches um, for the entire winter. That seems more reasonable than eight point whatever. Yeah. yeah. So for example, last winter we did 2.2 inches. Most of that fell in March Two winters ago, we did eleven point three. That was the big Snowbama event. I was in uh, I was in D.C. at that time, and we got twenty eight inches uh, on my doorstep. And, yeah, I believe it. And it was fun and miserable all at the same time. <laughs> you know, there was even controversy about that event about the actual snow amount um, in the D.C. area. Because, really? Yeah. Apparently, the guy who was supposed to go out and do it didn't clear the snowboard every six hours like he was supposed to. <laughs> Uh, so, and that might not be exactly, but there was some big controversy, uh, but that was a big winner for us. And then three winters ago, we were closer to the, to the mean, which is 6.1. Um, on average, our first flakes that we see falls on December 23rd. Uh, so if you're looking for a window for when it should snow, you, your best chance to see it would be de- between December 23rd and February 27th. The earliest we've seen snow in Nashville was on Halloween 1993, and the latest in the year that we saw it was in on April 10th, 1973. So we're still pretty far away, but the most f- frequent question I get is, how much are we going to get? I don't know. <laughs> and, what what goes... I mean, and what goes... Can, can, does anybody have a, an even half-baked idea of what's going to happen in an entire season? 
Yes. Um, there's a climate prediction center. If you go, if you just Google climate prediction center that NOAA does, and these are climate guys. We're not talking about global warming type climate guys. That What they're trying to do is predict for farmers and for other agricultural interests whether or not we're going to have above average temperatures over the next three months or whether or not we're going to have below average precipitation, something like that. Um, the CPC outlook that runs through January has got us with what they call an equal chance of normal precipitation. So they don't expect it to be any more or any less than we would normally get. Of course, it could vary. Sure. With respect to temperature, there's a 40% chance that we will have above normal temperatures over the next three months. So th- that doesn't mean it will be hot. It just means based upon our normal temperature since 1980, there's a 40% chance we're going to, throughout that entire three-month period, experience higher than normal temperatures. So as, as I go throughout the winter here, what am I, what am I, when I look at uh, tomorrow's forecast, 10-day forecast, and beyond, what is, what is the most accurate sort of thing that, that I can expect as, uh, as someone who is affected by weather every day? So if you're looking at an app and it's got a snowflake five days away, laugh and shut it off and don't pay any attention to it. Uh, my frustration with the apps is that it, it, it pretends to give you a binary solution to something that's very complex. So you say, oh, for example, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, my kids came home. Dad, I heard it was going to snow on Saturday, which was six days or five or six days away. And I just laughed at them. But that's what they that's what people are looking at. Right. They think that's a snow forecast. Our accuracy for accurately predicting snow totals beyond 72 hours is really, really ridiculously low. So what you're looking for in a weather source is somebody who can give you the truth about our ability to forecast beyond a three-day or five-day period. With weather modeling, and we're starting to invest a little bit more in weather modeling, we're doing better inside that five-day window than we were before. But we're still not there, and we're still not to the point where if you've got a birthday party planned outside and you want to know if it's going to snow or it's going to rain and it's Tuesday and you're asking about Saturday, we're just not very good at that. Um, Unfortunately, the technology in your hand pretends to know not just five days out but ten days out. You can go to AccuWeather and get a 90-day forecast, which is (laughs) absurd and has been criticized up and down amongst a vocal group inside the weather community. When uh, the the 10-day forecast that I look at, on average, how, how correct is that? Depends on what you're asking it to do. If you want it to give you a temperature range, probably does okay. Um, if, if you're asking whether or not there might be what I call shenanigans, rain, storms, or whatever, Um, it's not going to do very well because what you want, you know, you might have plans to go do something at a certain time inside that 10-day window. It's not going to give you the information you need in order to make a decision. So we've done weather support for a lot of outdoor events. We've done it for people who just hit us up on Twitter and say, hey, you know, we got something going on. Can you help us? And we'll say, here's what we think. But what we know is very little. Stay tuned. But as a lawyer, you would advise them that you are not liable for any for any prediction that you right. Make. Well, of course, we're not giving anybody any legal advice, um, <laughs> and you know we do have a a sharply worded disclaimer on our website um, talking about it. But I think everybody seems to understand that it's weather and it's unpredictable. Our frustration is when somebody takes a a binary solution to a very complex problem 
assigns a level of certainty to it and then it stops checking back later. And then they say, well, they got it wrong. And Well, who's they? The problem is you are looking at something that's not giving you the information you need. So what we're asking people to do is to embrace the uncertainty because I think they'll be better served in the long run for planning their day and doing the things they need to do. And then to check back often. And you know what? Sometimes you got to read our blog. <laughs> uh, the uh, this is a uh, this is a little bit impolitic, and you might not want to answer this. But uh, you got a favorite meteorologist here in town? Yes, um, do, I will. Do you want to say who it is? It's Paul Hagen. Okay. Um, and I'll say this about Paul: um, Paul is a at first a scientist, and he's a very very critical thinker. Um, and his style, I mean, not everybody likes everybody's style. Not a lot of people like me. That's okay. Um, <laughs> and, and so some people are going to disagree. And I, so I think your favorite is obviously just a matter of taste. Um, but, and Paul and I are friends. We've, you know, we don't hang out all the time, but I'll text him now and then. And, you know, I've learned a lot from the guy. That said, we've got excellent meteorologists here. Uh, we've had a pretty big turnover, and I've kind of seen the turnover go. But I'm in meetings with these people, and they are uh, genuinely interested in you and your safety. That's what gets them up out of bed in the morning. Um, and there are some of the nicest people I know. Uh, Leland Statham is one of the nicest guys I know. We did a we did a profile of him this year, and he is good lord. That guy is nice. He's he's like the best guy I know. Um, and they're also very good meteorologists. You know, uh, Ron Howes was very good at what he did. Uh, Lisa Spencer has been doing it forever. Do you think? Do you think Ron Howes is sitting around his house right now, kind of like drawing, uh, drawing forecasts on the fridge and whatever else? He probably is. And you know, and when those supercells start coming out of North Mississippi, there's got to be a part of him that's wanting to get back on. I mean, I know that's true of Charlie Nice, and Charlie has come on with us and has done some periscopes for us now that he's doing his real estate thing. Um, you know, those guys are in it. It's a hard job. People say, well, David, why don't you become a meteorologist? I'm like, you guys, the hours are really, really difficult to be yeah. a professional meteorologist. You're, you're like nurses. You know, those shifts have got to be worked, and it's a stressful thing. And, and you're on when your family gets home. And, and so it, that takes a toll on them. Um, it, it's certainly not unlike – it's certainly not comparable to military. It's Nothing's like that. Um, but it, it's public service, and it's they're, they're kind of like doctors and nurses who have to keep the hard hours because you know the weather doesn't stop, and just like people get sick at all times of the day. Have you seen Geostorm? No, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> I, I, I take that back. I will see it if there's some sort of drinking game involved, and I'm with some other weather friends, and we can be rowdy um, because I can't. I, I mean. I think I tweeted about it a month or so ago and I saw somebody review it and I thought, Oh my gosh. I mean like Twister's kind of fun because we were watching Twister here a few, uh, a few weeks ago. It happened to be kind of on cable and you know, maybe the science of it is not perfect um, or good, but, but it is entertaining. Uh, and there were, you know, like the Philip Seymour Hoffman character is just flat out funny and, there's there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of fun kind of camp in that movie. Twister was operating in the pretty much the dark ages of the study of how tornadoes form, and so they get a huge pass on a lot of things that they did wrong. Now, of course, there are a lot of things that were wrong science wise at the time, but looking at it back today, we're like, oh, you know, this idea that you're going to have four or five massive tornadoes strafe the same area is a little bit ridiculous. But you know, 
I love the movie. I mean, for a lot of people, that's what got them into weather. I remember when it came out. I I think I might have actually cut school and gone and watched it when did, it came. Did out. you want to? Did you ever want to do like a big like giant can full of those little plastic things to kind of send up into the air? Yeah, everybody wants to. I mean, uh, not everybody. All the weather nerds want to do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I've never really, I've never really been chasing. And in fact, I, I joke with people. I don't know how to drive in the rain because when it's raining, I'm usually in front of a computer screen somewhere. <laughs> I, I I tell people how to protect themselves from severe weather and. I never practice it myself because I'm always inside. Uh, I'm going to ask you for two ridiculous predictions that you will not be held to. Okay. Uh, date of the first snow? People always want to say Christmas Eve. But I think from what I've... My gut is after the last college football game. So I'll say there'll be a national championship game, what, the second week of January? Yep. And then the next day we'll have our first... Real snow. Uh, and how much snow are we going to have this fall, this winter? <sighs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you guys can't see this, but his eyes practically rolled into the back of his head. <laughs> okay, he was, that's a fair point. Um, I'm going to take the under. I think the way to do that is to go, look, if, if, if the average is oh, 5.7, I'm going to take the under. Uh, Vegas style. Yes. Um, and in fact, I did a talk at... Uh, creative nashville two years ago and on a similar thing and and i did the same math i did before i came in here today and the average was 6.3 and now it's at 5.7 so we've had a couple down down years doesn't that just mean we're due it might but i mean here's the thing it may only take one snow i mean we had the one thing where the if you were uh, this rain snow line bisected davidson and williamson county so for some people uh the last big snow we had, there was eight inches in Nashville and like an inch and a half in Spring Hill. So it depends on exactly where you are. It's such a picky thing. You've got the dry air monster to deal with. You've got the warm nose. You've got the difference between, well, are we going to call it snow or is it sleet or is it freezing rain or is it rain? You know, all these little things. So, but that, unfortunately, I'm type A personality. So I'm trying to qualify your really easy question with a. <laughs> With a bunch of conditions. So, no, I'm going to take the under on 5.7 inches. But you know what we don't have? Snow dome. We don't. The snow dome is dead, y'all. It, and I think we need another year of no snows in a day over an inch where the sledge just stay in the garage before we can talk about snow dome again. David, thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Steve. Mm-hmm.